So, last Sunday, um, I was midway through my sermon, and I realized, actually, it wasn't midway through, I was just starting, and I realized it's really warm in here. Um, and so I'm going to try to be a little shorter today. We'll see. I may really get into it, and maybe we'll be here an hour. We'll just see. But um, one way or the other, feel free during the middle of the sermon to get up. Go stand by an air conditioning if you get overheated. Um, it's not as warm today. We have a big fan in the back. Get some coffee, iced coffee, or tea, or uh, ice water, or something to keep yourself cool. I, I'm going to tell a story because I thought it was hilarious, and I hope they're not here this morning. Um, someone visited our evening service last week. Um, there, there's an there's there's Instagram uh, feed called like Overheard in New York or Overheard in D.C., and it's funny things you hear in the metro. And, and we had two new visitors at our, our, our church last week, and as they're going out of the service, they said, um, that, was, that was a pretty good service. There was a lot of prayer, though, but other than that, it was okay. And that's, <laughs> So anyway, I was like, I think that's a win. I'm not sure. Um, I think that's a good thing. By nature, um, I am the type of person who looks at the glass as being half full. So when, we get, when I get in a difficult situation, for example, let's say it's during the winter and my house were to burn down. I am the person who's standing outside and as the flames are going, saying, well, at least it's warm. It's keeping us warm, right? I'm like trying to find like what's the silver lining if we are, if, if we've broken down beside the side of the road, let's say the tire has exploded, and I go to my trunk and I realized I didn't put the jack back in the trunk where it belongs, which is something I would do, my initial response is where they're standing alongside 495 is, well, you know what, it's probably best we call a tow truck. We wouldn't want to be changing the tire on a busy road. To which the person with me is always responding, you idiot, we are stuck on a major highway with no way to fix the tire. I am always trying to find the, the good side. But the problem is, when, when you're always trying to find the silver lining, when you're always trying to find what's good about the situation, often you fail to fully acknowledge the gravity of the situation you're in. You fail to not acknowledge how, how bad off things really are. And so I'm a person who is very poor at looking back. I always want to just look forward, to look around the next bin of what's coming. Oh, sure, this is bad, but did you know that this was going to be happening? Isn't this so great? And so it makes me really poor at lamenting. Because instead of taking time to mourn and to face the pain, to face the situation I'm in, I want to explain it away and say, it, it isn't really that bad. Or maybe some spiritual cliche like, God's got this, or you know, God's in control, or God is sovereign. But it turns, and it turns out I'm not alone. Few of us, few of us like to lament. We, we, there's something about humans that we want to run away from pain. We want to run away from anger. We want to run away from confusion. But Scripture, but Scripture seems to, it seems to call us and acknowledge um, that lamenting, that facing pain, that facing confusion, that facing anger is a good thing. Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament scholar who's written extensively on the idea of lament, says that lament is the anecdote to denial. 
Lament is the anecdote to denial. It's about opening our eyes to the world as it really is with all of its ugliness. Lamenting, when you lament, when you take time to face the darkness, it doesn't sugarcoat the situation. And so today we are in the middle of a broader series called the Year of Biblical Literacy where we're spending an entire year walking through the Bible, but right now we're kind of in this smaller subset called um, the School of Life where we're looking at um, Proverbs and Job and today we're going to look at the Psalms and then next Sunday we're going to look at Ecclesiastes, um, which is one of the most powerful books in all of Scripture. And if you had plans to be someplace else, you should cancel them. You want to be here next Sunday because we have a guest speaker that I am more excited about than any other guest speaker in the history of the table. Don't you want to come find out who that is? Um, but so we're talking about Psalms today, and as I was preparing and as I was thinking about what to say on the Psalms, right, as a person who doesn't like to lament, I want to look at all the Psalms of praise and joy, which there are many. But I also have been overly disturbed, really over the past year, about kind of what is taking place in our, in our national story. And I think there is a time and a moment where we need to slow down and we need to lament. We need to face the pain and the confusion and the anger head on and acknowledge what it is that we're feeling. We need to lament the brokenness of our current political climate. Some of you need to lament the pain and the brokenness of your own life. There is pain and brokenness that you have stuffed deep down inside and you are trying with everything to keep it from, going up, from coming up, but there's been a bro maybe there's been a brokenness, a relationship, or a job that you've lost, or a diagnosis, or a fracture in a family relationship, and you are doing everything you can to kind of shove that to the side and pretend it's not there. And I want to invite you this morning to lament. We need to lament in a world where cops kill young black men without impunity. And we can argue about the legalities of the issue, but it, it just can't keep going. We cannot continue on the same path that we are going down. Right? I, there's only so many times that I can open up Facebook and watch a dashboard cam and literally just my entire body cringes. I'm like, we can't keep doing this. We have to lament the situation that we are in. But for many of us, if you are like me, you need a guide on the path to lament, and that's where the Psalms comes in. The Psalms serve as a, a guide for how we lament, but the Psalms also provide us words of lament. This is why traditions all throughout church history have used written prayers and written psalms or written words, written poems, because there are times when we experience a pain so deep or we are in a situation where we are so disoriented that we don't even have the words to speak or the words to pray. Or, or the words that we feel or the thoughts we have seem to be almost heretical. And then you turn to the Psalms and you are given permission to speak what seems to be heresy. The Psalms is a fascinating book. It's a collection of 150 ancient songs and prayers and poems all throughout Israel's history. In fact, they served as the worship 
Um, it was the worship music of ancient Israel. This is something, these are songs that would be sung in the temple courts. Before Hillsong, there was the Psalms. In fact, it's, if you go like watch some of the intro, like, the, like it'll say at the beginning of a psalm, some are like written by King David, but many of them are written by the worship leader or the worship director. Now, King David, who's often uh, uh, the psalms are attributed to, he wrote about 70 of the 150 psalms. But the present form that we have them in, this book that we know of as the psalms, it was written or compiled during the time of exile. If you've been with us during the year of biblical literacy, you begin to realize that almost everything that we kind of have now as the Hebrew scripture are much older than exile, which happens around 600 B.C., um, but they were compiled and put together in their present form during the time of exile because here you have the brain trust, the brightest, the best and the brightest have been carted off to the capital of Babylon and um, they got nothing else to do and, and they're beginning to look back and say, how did we get here? And so in this moment of pain and anguish, they begin to compile both their story, but they also begin to compile all these, these songs and they, they put together essentially their songbook. And what's interesting, if, if you look, um, the Psalms are structured into five sections. Some of your Bibles, you'll notice, you often skim by this, but it'll say section one, section two, section three, section four, section five. And the reason is, it is to mirror the Torah, the, the five sections of the Hebrew Scripture, the original Hebrew Scripture, you know, um, uh, Genesis, um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It is, it is, to, it is mirroring the, the Torah. So that's why when the Psalms opens, it says, how blessed are the ones who, who meditate on the teachings of God. It says this, happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of the scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And this is where translation gets in our way because we just read law and we think, whatever you think when you read law, there's a million things we think. But actually the Hebrew word there is Torah which is the first five books of the Bible. But their delight is in, the, is in the Torah. And on his Torah, or on the Torah, they will meditate on the, these writings, these ancient writings, the Torah, will they meditate day and night. And the Psalms are to teach God's people the practice of prayer and worship as they seek to obey and embody the Torah. If you continue on to chapter 2, it talks about placing our trust in the anointed one. That's how it often gets translated, but the word there is actually Messiah. They're placing their trust in the coming Messiah. And so the Psalms, if I was going to encapsulate what the Psalms are, at least for the ancient, um, ancient Hebrew people, it's this. The Psalms are to teach God's people the practice of prayer and worship as they seek to obey the Torah as they wait and long, God's, long for God's future kingdom. God's future messianic kingdom, which we, as followers of Jesus, be, believe becomes fulfilled in the person of Jesus. But today, there are like a million ways I could go with the book of Psalms. There's so many sermons that you could preach on Psalms, but I want to zero down on the idea of lament. And in Psalms, we discover that the authors of these, this poetry, the authors of these songs, um, express pain and confusion and anger. And, and, it's, and their words are often very raw. They don't hold back. And the Psalms show us that lament is an appropriate response to evil in the world. That, that 
acknowledging and confronting and looking pain and confusion and anger in the face is an appropriate response to evil in the world. And the words of lament draw our attention to what's wrong, and then they ask God to do something about it. In fact, they compel God to do something about it. Some of the Psalms really get up in God's face. But there are also these poems of praise which draw the attention to what good God is doing in the world. There is a retelling of the story of the winds and thanking God for his goodness. And what we actually find is that the Psalms tend to move from lament to praise. It it acknowledges the brokenness but also praises God for what we are believing that he is going to do. And and actually, as you move through the psalms as a whole, the way that the editors have kind of constructed it, it moves from very lament-heavy in the beginning, as they're beginning to pour out, like, why are we stuck in this current situation? And as you move from a heavy, uh, the first part is heavy on lament, as you move deeper into the psalms, the, the, the praise begins to outweigh lament. And so as we hope for God's coming kingdom and look forward, we both lament our current circumstances. We lament the brokenness of the world, but we also look forward to what God is doing. But but the Psalms are not gentle. And the question, like, I want us to wrestle with or I want us to think about is, is this, like, when was the last time that you took your pain and your confusion, and your anger, and your doubt, like, not just like the pretty stuff, hey, God, you know, I'm feeling kind of, I'm feeling kind of upset today, like, when was the last time, like, you screamed at God, I am so angry about the whatever, right, whether it's a personal lament, or corporate lament, this is what the Psalms do, listen to these, how long, Lord, will you forget me, and actually, some, some translations, and I think the translation I used up there, yeah, how long will you forget me? Then it, there's a question mark. And then forever? Will you forget me forever? There is just so much anger. Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? How long will it seem that the evil in this world wins? The Psalms, they free us to be honest with God. And they show us that God can handle our feelings. And what I want us to to kind of glean, I, I want you to begin to read through the Psalms. There's some traditions, uh, if you grew up in maybe the Episcopal Church, they have a Psalter that is meant to be read through every 30 days, right? So you're just constantly allowing the words of the Psalms to wash over you. But the Psalms invite us to say that prayer should be the one place where you're completely honest. What would it look like if you were completely honest with God in your prayer? What would it look like if you told God the things that you wouldn't tell anybody else because you were embarrassed that you were having those thoughts? They speak over and over again. The Psalms speak over and over again about crying out, about desperation. 
But we find not only individual laments, individual pain, individual frustration, but we also find a communal lament where communities come together and say that the world is falling apart. We are stuck in a situation and we don't know how to move forward. Like for us, it might be, and we're actually talking about this as a church, like how do we lament? How do we lament racism? How do we lament that so many young people are dying? How do we lament that so many young people are are going to bed hungry in our city? And the communal psalms, these communal laments, looking at the world as a community, follow this pattern of naming the pain, of protesting the way that it is. And then sometimes there is an innocence. They say, look, it's kind of like Job. Like Job's like, my world has fallen apart and I did nothing wrong. So there's sometimes we, we, we lament as a community and say, I don't think we had anything to do with this, but it doesn't matter because it sucks. But then there are other times where we acknowledge that it is our own brokenness that causes this pain. But in both cases, in both cases, whether it is protesting innocence or admitting guilt, there is a plea for divine assistance. God, you've got to help us. You've got to show up because if you don't, we have no hope. There's a a plea for divine assistance and and then there's thanksgiving for what God is going to do. We, we have no hope if you don't show up and we thank you for what you're going to do. Right? It moves from utter desperation to plea to thanksgiving. Right? You see this all throughout the Psalms. And the problem is, someone we had a prayer for the world last week at our, our downtown parish and they're not scripted. And at times I'm like, oh, what are they going to say? And the person who prayed the prayer for the world got up and said, I need a theology of hopelessness. Because God, I, I, I confess that I doubt and I don't even know if you're really going to act. Like if you're really going to show up. And, and the Psalms say that's appropriate. In fact, that's exactly when you feel that way, you need to express that to God. Don't stuff it. So often, good Christian people, we speak one thing with our mouth and we believe another thing in our heart. Oh, God's got this, but in your heart, you don't believe that God has got this. And that's humanity, that's, hu- like, that's normal. But express that doubt to God because the only way that your brokenness or the only way that your doubt or whatever the thing is that you're kind of hiding, the only way that it can, it can re- be redeemed is by bringing it into the open and saying, God, you've got to show up. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know that you are. We've been taught so often that it's all about having faith. And this doesn't mean we don't have faith, but there are moments when the doubt overwhelms us. And what we discover is that the Psalms give expression to both our pain and provide words of hope, even when we lack both. There are times when we don't hope and a psalm of thanksgiving or a psalm of praise can give voice to hope that we are struggling to express. In the same way, it can give words to pain. Here's what, I want to break the psalms down in a, in a way that, uh, I, I read a book in seminary called um, The Spirituality of the Psalms by Walter Brueggemann. 
who, if you ever wanted to, like, if you ever want to dive into the Old Testament, just go buy anything that Walter Brueggemann has written. Just like go, go into Amazon. It's kind of a difficult name, but they'll normally autocorrect, which is what they do for me normally. Um, and just buy one of his books. It's his, his stuff is phenomenal, but his work on the Psalms has been particularly impactful in my life. And I read this book called The Spirituality of Psalms, and it stuck with me my whole life. Brueggemann says the Psalms could be fit into three separate frameworks. The first is that there are Psalms of orientation. And these are the Psalms that we are most comfortable with. These are the Psalms that say, God, you are good. Lord, you are good. We thank you for who you are. It, the modern day example, if it were a praise song today, it would be the song, Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. It, it is like life is good. They are Psalms of orientation. It's status quo. It's status quo prayer. So it might be this, Psalm 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to the Lord a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his, the steadfast love of the Lord. There's all these psalms of orientation. that just like, life is good. Everything, it, 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 the praises go up and the blessings are coming down. Right? It, life, it just, things are working the way it should be. You get the new job, the relationship you've always dreamed of happens. You know, everything just comes up roses. Then, and then, and most of us then have had these moments where there are moments of disorientation. Life does not turn out as you expected. Disorientation is the moment your boss calls you in and you were expecting a raise and he tells you to clear out your desk. Disorientation is when the phone rings and on the other end you discover that someone close to you has died. Disorientation is when you move to DC to make a difference in the world and then you start working your first job and realize that it is way harder to make a difference than you ever could have imagined. Disorientation is when your spouse sits down with you and says, we need to talk, and your life as you know it begins to unravel. And it's in these moments that Brueggemann says that we find psalms of disorientation. They acknowledge that the world that we currently are living in is completely unraveling. Listen to these words. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? Same one we started with earlier. Forever? How long will you hide your face? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider, listen, consider and answer me. Consider and answer me. I am tired of waiting. Consider and answer me, O Lord. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. And in these moments, psalms of, in these moments of disorientation, our, mo our tendency is to rush through, to try to, to, try to self-medicate with, with, with whatever you self-medicate with, being busy, or, or drinking, or whatever that thing might be, we immediately try to calm the disorientation. But the psalms of disorientation invite us to lean into the pain and the confusion. 
Do you feel betrayed? Tell God. Do you feel afraid? Tell God. Do you wonder if life is even worth living? Tell God. Do you, does God feel far away? Tell God. Have you stopped believing that God exists? Tell God anyway. The Psalms invite us to honesty. But here's the, here's the good news. It, the Psalms do not leave us in this moment of disorientation. So we have moved from, from orientation, or another way of saying it, record, uh, Paul Ricoeur, a philosopher, would say, talk about the naivete, right? We, we live in this belief that all world is good, and then all of a sudden it's disoriented, it all falls apart, and we see the world for what it really is. For some of you, you felt invincible, and then you had that moment of disorientation, and you realized that you were not invincible, that you were mortal that maybe that you someday were going to die. This, this particularly for those of us who are young is more startling, right? When, when your friend gets sick or is killed in an accident and you always, you know there's death, maybe, kind of, but you don't think it's ever going to befall you. Somehow you will be the one person in humanity that will outlive us all. And then something flips your world upside down and you face the brokenness of, our, of humanity head on. Maybe it's a friend who's just completely stabbed you in the back. Or the career that you knew you were going to do for the rest of your life is not working out. No one's hiring you. No one's returning your calls. And the Psalms invites us to, to be honest about our disorientation. But they don't leave us there because they pull us from lament to praise, from lament to new orientation. They pull us to new life. See, reorientation is not simply a retread or a sprucing up of the old, but instead it brings new life. It is something completely new. On the other side of disorientation, the life you had previously, you, there's no going back to it. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of people's lives completely spiraling out of control and them having to acknowledge that whatever this was before, I'm never going back. It's gone. It's dead. But then, but then we move to this moment of disorientation where we are figuring life out again, and then we move into new orientation. So, for example, we get Psalms 114, which, which recounts the deliverance from, from, Israel, or from Egypt. Right, so, so Israel has been in slavery, but they have been in Egypt. And if you remember the story from the Exodus, they go to Moses and they said, wasn't life better back then? Right, at least we had food and we had security and we had safety. Maybe we weren't making enough for what we were doing, but life was good. They long in that moment of disorientation when they, everything that they've known has been ripped away from them. And now they're wandering through the middle of a desert following a cloud they say, can't we go back? There is no going back. There's no going back to the way life is, but there is new life ahead. And so then we read these words, when Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of a strange land, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. Why is it, O sea, that you flee, O Jordan, that you turn back, O mountains that you skip like rams, O hills like lambs? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. 
who turns the rock into the pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. God is doing new things. There's one of the, one of the imageries we find all throughout the Hebrew scriptures is, is water springing forth in the desert, is new life springing forth in the desert. Disorientation gives way to new orientation, to new life. This is what hit, one of the overarching themes of scripture is about the idea of dying to the old, being willing to die to the old, and allowing God to raise and give new life. And many of you are still in the space of orientation. Life's good. I mean, I have conversations with you. Nothing bad has ever happened to you. Like, the worst thing that happened to you is you got bumped from a flight once. That, that's it. And they didn't even drag you off. Right? So it, it wasn't that bad. And for you, psalms, these psalms are a bit dull. Maybe you get a bit jazzed up by the ones that say, yay, God is good and has got this, but that's about it. And others of you, though, right now, you are in the midst of disorientation. You are hanging on by a thread. You are here this morning just hoping for something to give you hope to make it to another day. Life has been turned upside down. You have no idea what the future holds. You are in uncharted waters. Some of you, maybe you're alone in a strange city for the first time. You, you graduated and you have moved and you were living in a basement apartment wondering your li- about your life's choices. Others of you are having a crisis of faith. Others of you, maybe your partner has just walked out or you've received unsettling or an unsettling medical diagnosis. Others of you, and this I'm quite sad about, have just found that you're moving to a new city. You're not going to be hanging out with us any longer. And life is scary. And when you're in this period, God can often seem so far away. It's in these moments that when you pray, your prayers seem to hit the ceiling and bounce back down. And if that's you, here's my encouragement. Pull out your dusty Bible and flip to the Psalms and just begin to read them. Just maybe get in a cycle. Every 30 days, just begin to read through the Psalms. And as you read through these, right, there are going to be Psalms that you're going to say, this is so weird and, like, I don't get poetry. I'm not, personally, I'm not a poetry person, so I sometimes read this and, like, I, the mountains will do what? They'll rise up and the water, and it's like, I don't get all that. But then you're going to read through and all of a sudden you're going to encounter a Psalm that just gives voice to the pain or to the joy of your heart and meditate on that Psalm. Maybe every morning you get up and you take that psalm and you just close your eyes and you just, you read the words and then you just close your eyes and allow God to speak to you. One of the most powerful personal um, spiritual experiences I've ever had was a a meditation on the 23rd Psalm where it was a guided meditation where there's someone that read the, the psalm and they said, imagine yourself in these meadows. Like, what's it smell like? How does the grass feel? And then as the psalm moves forward from the, you know, the, these grassy meadows to, to barrenness and to desert, now imagine yourself in this desert. What is God saying to you in this space? Just enter into these words. Imagine that God is there with you as you read these words. Find a psalm that speaks to you. And simply pray these words when no other words will come to your lips. 
and allow the Psalms to move you from lament to pr- from lament and from hope or from despair to hope. But others of you, you are on the other side. You've moved through disorientation and you have you found new life. You have a new job. You're in a new city and things are going well. And you're on the other side. You are experiencing a joy that you just want to express. For you, there is also a psalms that are there as well. Because the psalms provide incredible words of praise and acknowledging the goodness of God. And so for you, for you who are on the other side of disorientation, stop and take time to praise God for the goodness that you have, for the goodness of His, for the goodness of God, for the goodness of what you're experiencing. These words, they speak to us during the status quo when life is great and they call us to praise. And then they speak to us when life is falling apart and they call us to lament. And then they speak to us again on the other side of chaos. But here's the word I want to leave you with because I really want to speak to those of you who are in that moment of disorientation. Because I think in some ways whether you personally are being disoriented at this moment, I think we are in a moment of national disorientation. Wherever you follow, fall on the political spectrum, I think what we can all kind of agree on, we all kind of are feeling, is a disorientation. The life that we once knew, we're not going back to. And we're not sure what's next. And the Psalms tell us that in that moment of disorientation that lament is appropriate and I would go as far as to say a needed response. Because new life, new life, whatever is on the other side of disorientation can only come from the death of the old. From acknowledging that wherever we've been we are not going back to and then opening ourselves up to where it is that God is leading us. One final note. I, I was meeting with a, a pastor friend this week, um, and he said that when he first took his church, uh, he had a budget crisis. He'd been in his church two weeks, and he found out his church had about half the amount of money coming in that he thought it did. And his first task as pastor was to go to a budget meeting with the entire church and explain this to them. So he met with a mentor, and the mentor, and he said, what, what do I do? I am freaking out. I don't know what to do. And so this, this, his pastor friend gave him some advice. And then he just, the, his mentor, his friend, starts making the dumbest, cheesiest jokes you can ever imagine, just one after another. And my friend gets really irritated. And he's like, you heard me, right? We are in trouble. This is not funny. Why? He's like, I don't mean to be rude, but why are you telling these stupid jokes? And he said, he said, because when you go into that meeting, people are in a fight or flight mentality. They're going to do one of two things. They're going to come at you or they're going to flee. And he said, the only way that you can open up, help people think creatively and open up new possibilities and help them actually be creative about solving this crisis that you're facing is by, is by getting them to use a different part of their brain. And he said, humor activates the right side of your brain where creativity comes from. He said, so if you can get them laughing at your stupid pastor jokes, he said, you will find that that meeting goes so much better. He said, because they're not against you. You've been here two weeks. You'd need to get them on your side through humor.
And so as I was like preparing for the Psalms, I thought about how fascinating it is that the book that most, that deals with the most difficult subjects in life of, of lament and pain and anger and chaos and confusion is presented to us as a songbook, as poetry, right? Music and poetry, the arts, they have a way of connecting with a different part of our brain, something that opens up new possibilities. Because what happens is we get so stuck in a tunnel vision of like, I only have choice A or choice B, and neither is working. And there's something about creativity, about music, about prayer, about poetry that opens up a new possibility. And so I think these psalms, they help move us through disorientation to new life. They acknowledge that they, they lament what's been lost. They lament the pain. They lament the confusion. But then they call us to engage another part of our brain through song and poetry that opens up what God wants to do new, that helps us to see the world differently. And this is slightly separate from this particular, like, I want you to go home and read the Psalms. But also, I want you to, like, in your personal spiritual time, I'd really encourage you to find some worship music that speaks to you. It could be old hymns, it could be gospel, it could be Hillsong. I mean, I, it really, whatever it is that God uses to speak to you. But there's something so powerful about using worship music to engage a different side of us. Maybe you take one of these psalms and you close every, if you're like me, you close every door and make sure there's no neighbors around and then you sing one of them. You, you, you just sing it out to God in the worst off-key voice you have. And just ask God that he would open up new life, new possibilities, that he would give you a vision of what's possible, what's on the other side. And so here's my challenge this week. Just take some time. Set aside 10 minutes a day. Or just say, look, for, for the next seven days, I'm going to set aside at least 10 minutes a day to read a psalm to pray and ask that God, would, that God would speak. And whatever stage you're in, whether it's orientation or disorientation or new orientation, whatever stage you're personally in, I'd also ask you during this week to take a moment and lament something. Maybe it's in your city. Maybe it's a person you walk by whose life is just not going so well and you walk by him every day to work. Just lament that and then allow God to speak to you of what he wants to do. How you can be used to bring about new orientation. Let's pray. God, I thank you for these ancient songs, ancient poems that still speak so true and so powerfully to the situations that we find ourselves in today. And so I pray that whether we are or life is good, or life is falling apart, or we are once again experiencing the goodness of life on the other side of disorientation, that wherever we are, that you would speak to us afresh and anew through these psalms, but also that as a community, you would help us lament, lament the, the, the brokenness in our world. And I, hope you'd, I pray that you'd open our eyes to what is possible and then call us to, to live into that new thing that you are doing. And may we believe that you will do what you said you will do and give you the praise for what you're going to. Amen.